We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome, everybody, to this week's edition of the Mean Streets Podcast. On this episode, I have Chris Duhon, my former teammate at Duke, and a guy I lived with uh, my freshman year, my junior year, and his rookie year with the Chicago Bulls. We talked some Coach K stories, some Duke stories, and he has a really good Kobe Bryant story toward the end of the podcast. One last thing I want to note as well, uh, we will be moving this uh, podcast over to the Mean Streets channel on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, so I encourage everybody to subscribe there. And without further ado, let's get into my discussion with Chris. Welcome, everybody, to episode two of the Mean Streets podcast. I am here with the 2000 Louisiana Mr. Basketball, the year 2000 Morgan Wooten Award winner as McDonald's National High School Player of the Year, 2001 ACC Freshman of the Year, 2004 First Team All-ACC, a three-time ACC champion, a 2001 National Champion, a nine-year NBA vet. But to me, he is the guy who was my roommate for three separate years. I'm here with Chris Duhon. What is going on, man? What's going on, buddy? Man, that's 20 I, years. <laughs> what did you say? That's 20 years ago. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yeah. Like, uh, it's just it's crazy to think about that. When I was going through all this stuff, I was looking at the years. and like, yeah, man, we've uh, damn, we've damn near known each other half our lives. So, uh, I mean, the world wants to know, uh, what does Chris Duhon do uh, during a quarantine? What are you doing to keep busy, man? Man, uh, right now, just kind of, I mean, got the kids, so that's a hassle right there. That takes up half the day. 
Um, I'm in this coaching program uh, that's still kind of going on. So I uh, do a little work, you know, on that. It's actually giving me more time to do work on that. Um, hang out with the kids, hang out with the fam, the wife. Uh, we'll go out, walk around. We figured, you know, walking around our subdivision, you know, five times is three miles. So we get a little workout in uh, that way. Um, that's it. Just kind of watching a little Netflix show, catching up on shows on, you know, HBO, Showtime and all those type of things. You're not one of those guys who's like sitting around watching your old highlights and stuff. I see like current players doing that stuff. Are you like pulling up like league passes free and everything? Are you doing, are you doing that stuff? Nah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So like to give everyone a little, a little backstory on, on Chris and I, like I, I live with him my, my freshman year at Duke. Um, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody. Um, when I went to campus for the first time, they, they placed me with, with him and, and another guy we had, Andre Sweet. So I get there. Uh, Chris has already moved in. He's there for the summer. So that's my, my, first, my first interaction with you was like literally moving into our dorm. So I have to ask you, be honest. Like we're friends now. You can, be, you can, you can make fun of me. What, what did you think of me when, when you met me for the first time? Uh, hey man, I don't I don't place judgment, man. I don't think, uh, he was like six five, so I already knew he was taller than me. Uh, I was like, okay, you know, I was just I was gonna just let it flow. You know, I got to meet your parents at the same time, so uh, yeah, and I didn't have any judgments. I was gonna I had to wait you out for like a week or two weeks to kind of see you know how this thing was gonna go. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, Sweet and I was there uh, throughout the summer, so. Yeah, I mean, I know all his good, bad habits, and, you know, we lived together for about a month and a half, two months before you got there, so I was used to sweet. So we were just, I was just going to kind of see how that whole dynamic uh, kind of worked its way out. So I had no no judgment at all, no judgment. Yeah, I feel like I feel like we talked for, like, two minutes before I uh, on the phone before I got there, and you're like, do you have, like, what do you bring? I was like, I have a TV and, like, a PlayStation. I'm like, all right. But cool. See you in two weeks. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, like we both obviously hoop. We both love video games, and even at that time, I think we were into pro wrestling. So it didn't take us long before we clicked. Um, so let's just let's just go right to like Duke stuff here. So I know a lot of people have asked you this before. I'm going to ask it to you though, because I'm sure it's been a while since you even answered it. But like, so why do why Coach K? Like, what did what did Coach K? Um, what did he sell you on to ultimately? Because I know you had your pick of the litter basically when you were when you were coming out of high school, one of the best players in the country. So what what brought you to Duke uh, when it came down to it? Man, uh, you know, I mean, I was a, a huge, I mean, huge, I mean, huge sports fan in general. But uh, you know, so you know, college basketball, going back to the UNLV days and. Duke playing UNLV there, and uh, I wouldn't say Duke was, like, my favorite team then, but I just love watching, like, you know, just great basketball. We love the tournament time. Uh, so, you know, obviously, you know, kind of mid-'90s, they were, you know, with Elton Brand, and, you know, Trajan Langdon was one of my, my favorite players uh, to watch at Duke. Uh, you know, the truth of the matter is, you know, being in Louisiana, you know, that was something that was – really, really far-fetched. You know, Louisiana is a football state first, football state second, and they might slide in baseball at third. Um, So, you know, my goal really was if I could get to LSU, you know, that was pretty much my goal. Um, And then one summer, 
uh, well, actually now one summer. Uh, my sophomore year, uh, we're playing in the playoff game. You know, I live, you know, in Slidell, Louisiana, so we know everybody that's in Slidell. So if somebody new comes in, uh, we got to know. And then, you know, here comes this guy, Thad Fouché and Jonathan Bender. And, you know, Jonathan Bender is 6'11", uh, you know, one of the best players in the country. Uh, anyway, so, uh, you know, after our game, they come up and approach me and give me the opportunity to play with uh, their Adidas uh, Summer League team, uh, AAU team. Uh, so, And what year was this? What year you in high school at this point? Um, uh, this is the summer of my sophomore year. Okay. And then uh, Jonathan Bender was like number one in the country uh, for his his class going into his senior year. Uh, so we went out and played, and uh, you know, obviously all the scouts were there looking at Jonathan, and I actually played well that summer. And Quinn Snyder, I got my first letter from Quinn Snyder, and uh, you know, he and I uh, went back and forth. You know, he got. At that time, it was different. It wasn't free reign of communication like it is uh, today. So, but whenever we were able to talk, we talked a lot and we got to know each other. And I really, really liked Quinn. And then going to the next year, uh, Quinn took the job at Missouri. Yeah. Uh, and then one of the first things he did was call me and told me out of respect for Coach K that he couldn't re recruit me to go to Missouri. Uh, so I thought right there that spoke highly of the program, uh, spoke highly of Coach K, you know, that a former player in this business where you're trying to compete and get the best talent, uh, that, you know, he decided to go that route. And then Wojo kind of picked up from there. Uh, and, you know, he and I kind of built our relationship and it was cool. And, uh, you know, honestly, kind of going in at my, you know, my last five was Duke, Kentucky. LSU, Texas, and then Notre Dame at the end slid in. Actually, Brad Doherty was the coach there. Uh, not Brad Doherty. Um, Matt Doherty, yeah. Matt, Matt Doherty was the coach there. But, yeah, but then, you know, when I got there, a lot of it, you know, I knew Jay. I played against Jay. So that was kind of my main concern. Uh, if, if we would gel, you know, kind of being in the same position and things like that. And then when we played pickup, uh, you know how times when, you know, you have recruits in, you know, they're like, feed them, feed them, make them feel a part of the game, things like that. Yeah. But that didn't happen with us. Like, we naturally just kind of fed off of one another. Uh, so that kind of, like, confirmed, like, my, my, my fears as far as playing over there. And then, uh, you know, talking with Coach K, you know, you know he brings you into that room. Uh, I, I know I, I don't know because I never went in that room. <laughs> I, I think they got different oxygen in there because, you know, my whole, <laughs> my whole game plan was like, I'm not going to commit no matter what. You know, I'm not committing. And then about an hour and a half, you know, I committed to do. So, uh, but I mean, I mean, I think it just brought, you know, it was a great campus. Obviously, the team was going to be really, really good. I mean, you're getting one of the top educations in the world as well. So it just kind of, you know, it just all made sense. All right. So looking back on your Duke career a little bit, like obviously your freshman year, you you guys win national championship. Senior year, you, I mean, literally just put the team on your back. All Like I mentioned, you were first team all ACC. Take us to the final four. Talk about how like like the bookings of your career there, um, how, how, what you learned like through that middle ground 
like because obviously our our, uh, our sophomore year we lo- lost early our junior year we we went out i think uh what did we go out in the sweet 16 so like tell me what you learned basically from the start of your career to the end of your career oh man i mean it was a kind of a different process for uh process for me you know so i come in freshman year you know we have our seniors with you know shane and nate you know and jd and callback who kind of you know you know as you know shane is one of the best leaders that you know you could be around and you know when things were rocky he was kind of like our go-to guy to you know give us confidence and in that type of way kind of uh you know, even if we're having struggles with playing time or coach or whatever, you know, Shane was like the rock for us. So it kind of made it easier for everybody else. Uh, sophomore year, you know, even though we had pretty much the same team back minus Shane, uh, we didn't have any leadership. Um, so uh, I didn't think I was in a position to lead because you had, you know, Jay Will coming back. You had Dunleavy. You had C. Booz. So that was kind of a learning experience for me going into my junior year um, to where we bring in all these freshmen with, you know, JJ and Sheldon and uh, Dockery and Lee and, you know, Mike Thompson. And, uh, you know, then for me at that point, it was kind of like now, you know, Mike out of, you know, out the blue left and went, you know, went pro. We already knew C. Booz was going pro. Uh, Jay Will left as well. So now it's kind of Dante and myself uh, at the time, you know, kind of trying to hold this thing together. And uh, I think I was kind of getting off to a good start, like practices were going well. And then you remember I hurt my game in a Davidson game. We played Davidson. I think it might have been our first or second game. Uh, actually, no, it was the game before our first game when we played the exhibition game. Um before that, and I went there. I remember, a guy hit me in the arm, and I landed yep. on my wrist. Uh, you know, so my wrist was bothering me for, you know, I think like a month after that. And you know, that was a, supposed to be a really big year for me. Like, you know, I was, uh, you know, choosing to be one of the top Wooden Award winners and things like that. And uh, so, but that first stretch period, you know, I wasn't playing well. You know, I didn't play well, and I think it messed up my psyche. Uh, and we, you know, we were talented, so we were still able to win games. But at the same time, I'm thinking about myself, and I'm also thinking about, and we got six freshmen that are on our team. <laughs> you know, four of them are going to be playing, you know, big minutes. And, yeah. you know, we're, you know, we're due. You know, we don't get you know getting in a tournament waiting for selection Sunday like we're we, we know our, our our tickets already stamped so trying to develop them trying to build their confidence you know obviously we had Dante so trying to keep Dante where you know where he because he was playing pretty at a, a, a really high level early you know we had D. Ewan who was playing at a really high level so I'm kind of now thrown into the captain's feet trying to just make sure everybody else is good and sometimes you could kind of get lost uh, and it could kind of be overwhelming as well when you're, you're feeling like you're doing everything by yourself. And uh, so that year was a rocky, rocky year for me mentally, uh, you know, and but I learned a lot from it. You know, I think I kind of figured it out. Um, 
I think it was when I, I got benched at the UNC before UNC um, and I kind of figured it out, you know, just to kind of like relax, just go play, don't put, you know, whatever it is, what it is. And from that point on, you know, I think I, I was playing at a really, really high level and, uh, you know, we, you know, we had our chance against Kansas uh, during that time in Anaheim, in the Sweet 16. And then I think I just used that to propel me for senior year, you know, just I was, yeah. you know, my, my head space was really, really clear. You know, I wasn't thinking about I got to do this for the NBA or this or that. I was just going to enjoy my senior year the best way I can with the group of guys. We're bringing in Luol Deng. Uh, you know, everyone's back. Everyone's older. Uh, you know, I'm relying on you. I'm relying on Nick Horvat. Borman came back because, remember, Borman wasn't there yeah. our, our junior year. So, yeah, Borman back, you know, so kind of you guys were my rock. And, you know, we kind of just all did this together. And that was that was kind of more of a team um, atmosphere that, you know, kind of resemblance what we had my freshman year. Um, and it was fun, man. We had a lot of fun doing it. And um, I just think, you know, during that time from sophomore, junior year, it just helped me grow as a person and as a leader um, into as far as just, one, relying on others, not trying to do things by yourself. You know, not, not many people do anything Success, successful by themselves like they have someone to talk to and someone to lean on or if you're spiritual uh you know you, you you go to god means type things like that so i think that was kind of the main thing that i learned to not try to put everything on my shoulders and then you know when i need to express something express it instead of stuffing my feelings and you know, then wait till I'm about to explode and then just explode. So, yeah. You know. Well, it's crazy too. Like when, when we sit here and talk about this is what are we like, mid, like late thirties, <laughs> like the, the microscope you were under as you were like 19 years old, you know, it's stuff like, it's just crazy to think like all the expectations and pressure you're put on at that young of an age. Like we're just, I don't know if you're like, you're anybody is like really fully capable of handling that. So like, I guess that leads to my next question, which would be like after your freshman year, you were, if I recall, you could have maybe gone like a lottery, I think. So, and you decided to come back and you stayed your whole four years. So like, if you had to do it all over again, would you have left after your freshman year or would you have, you think that kind of those bumps in the road kind of made you who you are today? Would you, would you go, go leave for the league after your freshman year or stay again? No, I, I think I would have kind of did it the same way. Um, yeah. You know, obviously, I mean, you could think back and, you know, but, you know, one of the main goals of mine was to be the first person in my family to graduate from college. Uh, so that was something that was really on high on my list. Sure. And, you know, and everybody say, oh, you could go back, you could go back. Like, trust me, not a lot of guys that go early come back to get their degree. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, after – and you live with me. So, you know, after a long season – NBA grind, you go through the playoffs. The last thing you're doing, thinking about when you're done, is to go back to damn school to get your degree. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so being realistic, leaving there, and I would have to do three years of that. Uh, you know, just kind of looking hindsight. Um, I just thought. Plus, I was enjoying college, and I wanted the opportunity to, you know, kind of have my own team there at Duke, and you know, kind of see if I can lead them as far as. Um, you know, lead us to a championship. So that that was also another uh, kind of goal of mine as well. So 
Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it any other way. Uh, I mean, I enjoyed the whole process of it. You know, I had a great time with it. Yeah. So that takes me to, you know, after you, you graduate, uh, senior year, you, I think you go in the second, you go in the second round of Chicago. So like, that's, that's like obviously a different path than you had probably laid out when you, when the NBA first realistically became a dream for you, then you go to the second round, you kind of got your work cut out for you. So like, talk a little bit about how that went for you. Cause like, I, if I recall, you weren't even guaranteed a roster spot um, from the get go because you were a second round pick. Then I think you even had like a guaranteed day in your contract, like at a certain point in the middle of the season. It's so like, it was always like you were still having to prove yourself in that first year. So like, I guess, tell me how, tell me a little bit about that process, that whole year basically. And then how that compared to your other years as a, as a professional, you know, you play with the, the Bulls and you play with the next and you play with the Magic and the Lakers. Like the, all of those other years, I, I assume were a little different than that rookie year. Yeah, oh, of course. Yeah. So, I mean, you get drafted in the second round. I mean, the only perk of that is that your name gets called <laughs> during that day. Pretty much. <laughs> uh, and then also you get a little bit more more money than, um, say, like a rookie free agent. Um, but then uh, – so then you have a choice. You know, you have a choice for taking like a one- or two-year contract from that team. And – it's non-guaranteed, um, so it's, it's non-guaranteed until, I want to say, like, January 16th or something like that. So at any point in time, you know, they can cut you. Um, at that time with that, uh, you know, the G League wasn't – I don't think it even existed yet. I think they were still kind of talking about Yeah. Uh, talking about it. So basically that team has your rights. For if you sign a two-year deal, they have their rights. You're right. So you can go play overseas, which some teams would encourage guys to go because if, if they feel they're not going to make the roster, uh, you know, again, there's no G League, so they they can't send you down to the G League, let you develop, and then, you know, bring you back and forth. You know, they would encourage you to go overseas for a year, then try to come back and come to summer league and make the team and that type of thing. So, so basically – I was like, I'm going to bet on myself. So I took a one-year deal, um, you know, went to summer league, played summer league. Uh, you got to remember that team was young anyway. So, um, you know, I'm playing with Kirk Conrick, who was the starting point guard, uh, you know, for the team, you know. And then we drafted Ben Gordon and we drafted Luong. And uh, uh, Nocioni was a, a, a rookie undrafted guy. Um so we had all these young guys that were eventually going to become the main core of their team. Uh, so, again, I didn't know much about it going in until I really got to um, training camp. So going to training camp, I'm the six-point guard as far as on the depth chart. Yeah. You know, you had Kirk, you had Gennaro Pargo, had a kid, uh, Mike Rice, uh, um, I'm trying to think of the other guards that were there. Um, well, you're sixth. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't know if they, I don't know if Ben was considered a point guard slash yeah. guard or whatever. So, I mean, there were, yeah, I was the sixth one. So, I remember the day before training camp, uh, team from Italy calls. And they're like, hey, you know, you need you to come – like, you really think you're going to make this roster? Like, 
you know, we have a spot for you. Why don't you come play for a year and things like that? And I thought it was weird. And I was hearing things from, you know, my agent and things that, you know, the Bulls wasn't really thinking that I was going to make the team or anything like that, that they preferred me to go out for a year and then come back and try again. And then at that point, I was like, man, fuck it. I'm already here. This is training. <laughs> I said, I'm going to go out and, and show. So, and, you know, that's basically what it is. You know, when the practice, Scott Skiles was a hard-nosed coach, uh, which, you know, I'm – was used to with Coach K. <laughs> so it kind of fit. And then, you know, his thing was all about conditioning. And, I mean, you know, as anybody, I can I can run for days and days and days. So I, I'm interjecting now. I'm sorry. Like, I hate you. Like, <laughs> like this guy would – I have to vent because we do conditioning tests and Chris literally wins every single conditioning test. He runs a mile in, like, what are you, like – like five, like 455 or like 505. And then we're doing sprints and he's finishing everything first. And he's yelling at everybody like, come on, make the time, make the time. Like, dude, you don't know what's going on in my lungs right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. So yeah, that's kind of where it was. So then, you know, I was just, you know, I think, you know, I had a a real high cue of how to play the game. And, um, you know, I was very coachable and, you know, I just went in there and just kind of competed and competed and competed. And, uh, you know, as training camp kind of went, kept going through, you know, I could tell that, you know, I was getting noticed a little bit by the coaches because instead of being on the third team, I started moving up to the second team and then started basically moving up to the first team. And then, uh, you know, we were going through preseason games. You know, I was, you know, pretty much doing my job. I was defending you know, making shots when I had to make shots, creating for others, playing with a lot of energy, uh, you know, those type of things. And um, all of a sudden, this guy got cut. And then this guy got cut. And, you know, now, you know, John Paxson came up to me and it was like kind of in, you know, disbelief a little bit. But he was like, yeah, hey, I mean, you know, you're on the team. Um, and then, you know, now we're, we're going – we're starting. I didn't, still didn't know kind of what my role was going to be uh, until like the last probably preseason game. And then, you know, that's when, you know, it's kind of like your dress rehearsal before the, the first game. And, you know, I saw you had me as the first guard coming off the bench. So from wanting to be sent to Italy or France or wherever it may have been to now pretty much the sixth man, seventh man, depending on you know, which one of our guys got in foul trouble first. Uh, that was pretty remarkable at the time. Um, so, again, now it brings back to your uh, not guaranteed story to where, you know, I think, we're, you know, we're, we started off like 0 and 9. But in, in between there, uh, you know, we, we were on the road and uh, Kirk and I, Kirk called me, was like, hey, let's go to dinner. And we went to dinner and we ended up like kind of hanging out and kind of having drinks and things like that. And, you know, which is fine. You know, everyone does that. So we go back, come back the next day. Well, I might have had too many drinks because (laughs) I was still kind of seeping through my pores a little bit during shoot around, uh, which didn't affect me at all. I mean, you know, as, as far as shoot around or anything like that, but one of the assistant coaches came up to me, Jim Bowling at the time, 
and was like, hey, man, like, you've done a great job here so far. Uh, but remember, like, your contract's not guaranteed until this point, you know, and it was like, you know, I know you feel like you're in NBA now, but, you know, you're not quite there yet. So that kind of got me refocused, you know, you know, a little bit more. And then, you know, we were 0-9, or we're on this long West Coast trip. It was the Chicago infamous circus trip. Uh, whenever the circus comes into town in Chicago, we always go on the road. And Skiles, Coach Skiles changes it up, you know, throws me into the starting lineup. Um, we ended up beating Utah. Utah was really good, you know, with Darren Williams and Cebu's and, you know, that group that they had, Karolinko. And, uh, you know, we, we beat them in Utah, which was big at the time. And, uh, you know, we started to win a game, few games, stringed it along a little bit. I got to my guarantee. <laughs> so then I was more comfortable. Uh, and then we kind of hit a stretch and we got hot. And, you know, from a team going 0-9 and I think, what, 4-12 and in, in uh, December, you know, we ended up, making the playoffs we were the techni yeah. technically the at the third best record in the east uh but because um detroit uh won our conference and then washington won their division or whatever yeah divisions won their division uh we became the the fifth seed Right, so they had the higher seed, yeah. I mean, yeah, living in uh, living in that was the first year I lived in Chicago. I lived with you that year, and I I can, I mean, I'm not a Bulls fan by any stretch, but I can, you know, I have a handful of friends that said that was as excited as the city has been in a while for basically since Jordan was there, because um, I think they called you guys the Baby Bulls, and I, and you guys had one of the better teams that they had seen in several years. Um, so I guess I want to I want to talk to you a little bit too about just the difference about or between college and the NBA as far as like lifestyle, as far as you, I mean, we, we went from having our academic advisor, Kenny King hiding in uh, bushes outside of our classrooms to make sure we were going to class uh, to you having, I mean, I got to imagine all sorts of time on your hands, uh, you know, as a professional, cause like on a, like speak to like what a, a, a daily, uh, a daily routine would look like on a day. Let's just say you just have a normal practice compared to college and compared to the NBA. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, with the NBA, again, it kind of depends on what you put into it, you know? So, um, you know, in my earlier years, I got actually it was something I had to learn and get better at and doing, um, but you have so much free time, you know? So when you, you, you know, you go in early, you get in a workout as far as lifting, maybe you get in an individual workout, then you practice, practice for like two hours. After that, then you're pretty much free. So, you know, if you're a guy that rather lift after practice, you can, you know, you can schedule it till you do that. Um, you get, obviously you'll get up some extra shots, you can eat, you can get massages you know, those type of things. But, you know, technically, you know, you take care of your body, those type of things. But technically, once practice is over, you know, say, because we practice, I don't think we, we started at 9. So technically from 11.30 until 9 the next day of practice, you're pretty much free. You know, so it's pretty much what, how much you want to put into it, um, uh, into your craft and that type of thing to – 
kind of determines, you know, what type of player you kind of become. Uh, you know, in college, you have class. So everything is kind of structured for you um, to where, like, hey, you may have, you know, wait for something in the morning, but then you have that 9 a.m. class that you got to go to. And then, you know, what people don't believe, like, oh, you guys didn't go to school. Like, like we had to go to class, you know. So Kenny, like you said, Kenny's going to be in there looking for you, making sure you go to class, because if you don't, then you add another thing to your schedule, which is 5 a.m. runs. And I'm going to interject again because my biggest mistake in college was I took classes with you every freaking semester until, like, the end of – until, like, the second semester of senior year. I realized that the one time I did not take a class with you in a semester, the guy never really showed up to my – showed up to the – waited on the bushes in my class. It's like, oh, yeah, it turns out he's not really caring if I go to class. I think he might be here for Chris. <laughs> so yeah i mean that's the biggest difference is just everything structured so you have class class then you, obviously you might have a meeting with one of the coaches and then you know class you have practice then we have team meal right after that then you had study hall and then you know so your whole day is pretty much scheduled you know to where in the nba this you know what you put into it. and you know Besides after your rookie year, after your first two years, you know, then the coaches don't really intervene as much. You know, they kind of rely on you to come to them if you want to get up extra stuff or do extra things. Sure. So I want to talk to you a little bit about your time with the Knicks because, you know, that year, I think it was your 08-09 season, you averaged almost 37 minutes a game. You're, playing, you're a starting point guard under Coach, Dan, uh, Coach Mike D'Antoni. And that's, I mean, someone who's in, you know, in my industry, we, we're in daily fantasy sports and he's still, he's still the coach of the Rockets. And I want to hear some stuff. I want to know just exactly what his like offensive brain is like, like the, there's people out there. So, Oh, we just didn't run any play or they don't run any plays because they got James Harden. So like what goes into that guy's brain from like an offensive perspective? Like, what do you guys do at practice? What did he have you do to just like roll the ball out and say, go play or, or what's it, what was it like playing for him? Give me some D'Antoni stories. Yeah. Oh, I mean, one, I mean, he's, he's brilliant offensively. Like he, you know, obviously I think a lot was doing with his playing experience and, uh, you know, being overseas. So I think being overseas also has gave him an opportunity to be a little bit more creative. Uh, so that's why he's thinking about more matchups and speed and, you know, analytics and stuff before, you know, it became like super big. Um, so, I mean, with us, I lo- literally, I went from one extreme to the other. So, I went from Scott Skiles to who, I mean, it's defense, 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 defense. Like, like, like you remember, like, it got to a point, like, especially early in the year when he was kind of my, our rookie year when he was trying to, you know, mold us into being one of the best defensive teams in the league. I mean, if we – the ice, are, are we blue or blue? Uh, it's basically on a side pick and roll. When the guy has it, I will jump up to his top side and try to force him baseline to where the big will be there waiting for him to where now we don't let him get over the top to get in the middle, and then now he has all type of angles to sure. you know, make passes or make a play. Well, he was big on blue, so if we missed the blue, and you're getting subbed out. <laughs> I got to the point, like – I'll, you know, if I'm on the bench and I see Kirk miss a blue, like, he didn't even have to tell me to go in. I'll just start walking to the score. <laughs> you 
because, <laughs> you know, and that happened, I would say, probably for like the first 20, 25 games. And then we figured it out, so it became a little bit more leeway. So, again, going to that, to two and a half, the three-hour practices from, you know, if we had we go through a bad stretch, we would practice the day of the game, so shoot around became a practice. So I went from that to we practiced for 45 minutes. Yeah. There were no defensive structures putting in at all. Everything was – Strictly often. So we'll come in, we'll start off with the shooting drill. Shooting drill, time shooting drill, these type of things. Then you would go to what we call a parth method. So parth method is pretty much you're breaking down one half of your offense. So instead of going five on O and guys are just moving around, we'll just be three on O and then we're working on certain things. So if we're working on you know, dribble handoff. I'll go up, dribble handoff to the guy, the big comes, set the pick. So now we're working on all the options of what we can do off that dribble handoff, you know, so I can fake it. And then that leads to this. Or if I hand it off, he could pitch it to the big, you know, so whatever, whatever your mind or creativity you want to go from that, that's what we will work on. And then, you know, we'll do it on the other side. So we'll do that for say 25, 20 minutes, things like that. And then we will play. You know, we'll just we'll go up and down. We play this game. I don't even know what the name of the game was. But basically, you got to get to a total of five points. But each game goes to three. So if I score, and obviously it's the first person to uh, two wins. So if I score, you score, and then the next person score, they win. And you get one point to that big total of five. But if I beat you 3-0, I get two points. So then that way, you know, so it kind of keeps you to, you know, continue to play in that type of way. So we would do that four or five times, and then that was it. You know, then you kind of go get your shots up, you know, those type of things afterwards, and, you know, that was it. So it was basically conditioning us to just play offense, offense. We got a lot of shots up. I mean, a lot, a lot of shots up because he encouraged everybody to shoot and those type of things. And then, like I said, after practice, you know, David Lee and I, because we were mainly in pick and rolls, would work on our pick and roll stuff. So I work on throwing them lobs and throwing them, you know, pocket passes and those type of things. And he and I would kind of talk about the game and kind of, you know, you know, work with each other and those type of things. And and that was that. And uh, but as far as Mike being, I mean, is is organized pickup in a way. Um, but at the same time, what he's great at is after timeout plays, to where he's reading what the team is doing, and he's able to set you up to you guys coming in here to try to defend this a certain way, and then bam, we get a backdoor lob for for Nate, or bam, we get a backdoor lob for Wilson Chandler you know, those type of things. And, um, you know, it was fun to watch him work that way. Uh, good story, we're playing New Jersey. And uh, or it might have been Dallas. I think, oh, I think J.K. was in Dallas at that time. Uh, we're playing Dallas and uh, – or it might have been the second year, my second year in New York that he was in Dallas. But, anyway, we're playing J.K. and it's the end of the game – Drawing up a play, we need a three, and as soon as and you know, Jay Kidd is probably one of the highest IQ guys there is. Sure. 
and he comes out, see our set, and he's calling it out word for word. <laughs> oh, that's this. he's going to do this, this, that, blah, that. So we are calling another time out. <laughs> so just like that, you know, it. I don't know how you would be, but I'm panicking. I'm, now I've got to think of another because I'm just thinking that I just brought out this perfect play to get a three. Now you just made me call a timeout. Do I have another one? Or didn't panic at all. Pretty much the same set. Like we twink, like you know, switch some things here. Man, we got a wide open three like the next play. So in that split second, it was just his mind was just okay. I got this for you, you know this type of thing. So uh, I mean, offensively, I mean he was really, really, really brilliant in seeing the game, seeing mismatches seeing how you could take advantage of teams, you know, when they guard it any type of way. You know, if they switched everything, if they tried to blue you and make you go down to the baseline, if they played soft, if they tried to trap you, like he always had a backup plan to the backup plan to the backup plan. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned you mentioned uh, David Lee, too. Do you get, like, an annual present from him to, to, because you got him that huge contract with Golden State or what? Hey, I've been looking for it, but, you know uh, – <laughs> You know, my mailbox must not be working. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, after after New York, you go to Orlando, then you and you actually end up in L- uh, L.A. with the Lakers for your, um, the last year of your career. Yeah. And I, I mean, there's plenty of different ways I could go with this, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you. Like, um, I, I need to hear your best Kobe story. I mean, obviously, with the tragic incident that happened, uh, I guess a month or two ago, everything's kind of blending together now recently with what's going on in the world, but. Give me your give me your best Kobe story and just what it was like to be around him on a day to day basis. I can't even imagine what that was like going into work every day. Yeah, uh, I mean Kobe's on a different level. Uh, you know, obviously he's he is one of the smartest guys I've kind of been around, and you know everything he does is is strategic. You know, he's he's a strategist, and. Uh, you know, the one thing about him and I, that I tell everybody is that you, you know, you say you work hard and you feel like you work hard and things like that. Like, you haven't seen working hard until you've seen, you know, a guy like Kobe. And when, you know, no faults or, uh, you know, or no no regrets or he's not – he doesn't seem like it's like a chore to him. It's just that, that's just who he is. And, uh, you know, he would – fly in, work out 4 a.m., 5 a.m., you know, go back home. We will have practice at 10. He'll get there again like 7.30, do a lot of stuff because he was getting older, so he did a lot of things for his body. So he'd do a lot of things for his body, that type of stuff, practice, stay after practice, does his little, you know, workout routine that he'll do, go back in, take care of his body again, eat, kind of relax, and I'm pretty sure, you know, he came back in at nights and, you know, he kind of has his own gym and stuff at, you know, his house that he does as well. But he's got us always thinking the game. Uh, you know, one of the things I was, like, really impressed with was that, like, they made sure guys recorded, you know, obviously you have your uh, video staff that is with you on the team. Well, at halftime, they would have – clip have all his shots already clipped out and ready for him to look at it so at halftime that's what he's doing so now he's in his head seeing how the defense is coming where the double team's coming how they're playing certain guys so he's already building up a plan for the second half based on 
what he's watching film at halftime. Like, who, who does that? He's like basically like a quarterback who's like getting the, the you know, who's on his Microsoft Surface getting the plays from the last possession. Exactly. So he's every time he's touching, he's seeing how the defense is playing, and then he's making adjustments going in. Uh, you know, Kobe's stories is if you know he, but he was he, he was different. Like one day Kobe will be in there, and he, he will seem like he's your best friend in the world, want to know about you and your family and everything like that. And then the next day, he act like he just met you for the first time. Like he was, <laughs> just just kind of how he was wired. Uh, I mean, and I have so many stories of him. It's just you know, like that year with playing with him was uh, frustrating in a way because we didn't get the results we wanted, but also amazing in a way that I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with him and get to know him and learn how what greatness pretty much looks like. And, yeah, I mean, you're just like a right up, right up close and personal with it. Yeah, pretty much right up and personal with him. Uh, the one, one that kind of, <laughs> I guess, affected me money-wise, you know, we're traveling back and we're traveling back to L.A. from a road game. And then after every game, you could get the scores uh, of all the teams that are playing that night. So you could get the box scores, you could get the play-by-play, you get the, the big, you know, you get the big packet of everything where we're at. So... I can remember we're coming back and I'm sitting next to him on the plane. We're kind of going through that. And, you know, he's always checking what other guys are doing. And it's not just the top guys either. He's just a basketball, like, junkie lover. I mean, like you, you know, he speaks five, six different languages too. So it could be, oh, belly nelly. And then he'll start speaking like, oh, he did this or whatever. So, we're uh, we're on the plane, and I think LeBron got like another triple double. And he's like, "Oh, okay, LeBron got another triple double, okay." And I'm like, "Shit, well, we know you ain't gonna get no triple double because you don't pass, you know." <laughs> <laughs> and he looked at me, he started laughing. He's like, "All right, I choose not to pass. It don't mean I can't pass. I choose not to pass." I was like, "I don't know if you're choosing or you can or you can't. I just know you ain't." So. You know, we laughing going back and forth. He's like, all right, let's make it bet. He said, I bet you that I'll have a triple-double the next game. I was like, oh, bet. So we put $5,000. I was like, I bet you $5,000 you will not have a triple-double the next game. And I'm thinking, you know, we got Dwight, you know, these big guys, so he ain't going to really be getting rebounds like that. And he won't pass. So <laughs> we get to the game, and I promise you he's one assist shy at halftime. Oh, my God. And the whole time, whenever he's doing it, he's just winking at me, winking at me, winking at me. And, you know, that's with that story, it kind of gets me to, you know, everyone talks about who's the greatest and who's that and is it LeBron and is it that or, you know, LeBron passes. And, you know, for one, I think that's a preference, the prison preference of who you like when you grew up and what you think. Sure. And then the other is, you know, guys have to be different players depending on that team. And that's what your mindset. So his mindset for the Lakers to be great was for him to be a scorer. You know, he had to be a scorer, not really like he had to dominate and that guys know like that's who he was going to be all the time. 
And that was just his mindset. He's like, if he wanted to go out and, and which I believe, and he made me a believer out of it and be kind of like a Russell Westbrook type and get triple double every game. I, I honestly believe he could do that, but he felt that that wasn't going to be the best way for him to help the team win and be successful. Like the way that, and, and I, you know, I agree. I think certain guys have to do it their own way that affects them and that, that matches their personality. But, I mean, I have stories and stories on for days with him. Like, I, again, I had a great time uh, getting to know him and, and watching him play. I'm going to try to not just, like, in this podcast now so I can go look for that game log and then look for that video of him getting that triple-double. So I am going to ask you, like, one or two more questions because I really want to go look, up, look that up right now. Um, that's amazing. Just as crazy that a guy can be just so good at something that he can just do that at the drop of a hat. That's just an insane story. I'm glad you shared that. Uh, I guess we have one more, one more thing I just want to talk about and I'll get into like just a couple quick hair things and I'll, and I'll let you be on with your day. Um, so like, I want to talk about your transition away from playing. Yeah. Cause like, I know even just personally, like, you know, I, at a certain point in my life, obviously I knew my basketball career was going to be over really quick. And even then it was, just, it's still just like, we've done, we played basketball for so long. It's like literally all you do, all you're known for. And then at a certain point, it's just taken away. Like I can't imagine for you who's in, in the league for nine years, that's got to be, you know, multiplied by, by 10 or a hundred, just how you feel. Cause I know you've gone on to do some, you've uh, dabbled in college coaching. You're now doing this. The, uh, I think it's called the assistant coaches program that the NBA sponsors that you're doing now. So like, just, I guess, like mentally, how have you handled that? And, and, and also just like transition to figure out what the heck you want to do. Yeah. I mean, I think with me doing college is kind of figuring out, uh, if coaching is something I want to do, um, it, it's, it's very, very different. A lot of man hours, a lot of hours put in the coaching that, uh, you know, I think a lot of people don't understand. Um, and then, uh, you know, so I had the opportunity to coach at Marshall uh, and then also coached at Illinois State and, you know, coached at Marshall with Dan, Dan, Mike's brother, because Dan and I were really, really close. So those were fun times as well. Um, and then coached with Dan Muller at Illinois State and um, had an opportunity to learn a lot from him. He uh, played at Illinois State um, and then coached at Vanderbilt uh, for like 12 years under Coach Stallings um, before he got the – uh, head coaching job at Illinois State. Um, but it's, it's different. I think for me, one of the difficulties for me is that, again, like I'm, I'm still in basketball player kind of mentality as far as, sure. uh, you know, missing the locker room and missing the practice and missing joking with the guys and, you know, going out and competing and that type of thing to where, you know, I think a difficulty for me was – knowing what the line of as far as when you're coaching the players as far as like them thinking of you as a teammate instead of thinking of you as you know a coach or guy as you know in authority because I mean you know what is different from you know you and I together at practice and I'm like Andy means like get your gut and butt up and you know do this in practice and then we joke about it you know right after practice and I'm kind of doing the same thing with the guys, you know, so where, where, what's the difference? Like, you know, because I'm not that far in age above them. And that was kind of something that, you know, I was kind of struggling with a little bit. Um, and again, it's just kind of finding, finding your niche 
Um, so I think this uh, coaching program that I am now, that the NBA is doing, um, is like really, really making me understand like all the nuances in coaching uh, as far as, you know, what guys expect, you know, the analytics that go around it. Um, I'm learning all the different softwares that teams use, like Fast Draw, Fast Scout, Synergy, you know, Sports Code, you know, all these type of, you know, scouting apps and devices that they use uh, to where now I'm just learning how to master it to where, you know, those things kind of can go mess with you a little bit. You know, you go, coaches like put a scouting report together and something happens and then you can't get in touch with the basketball ops guy or your video guy and then now you're like you're stuck to where you know now i know multiple ways of being able to be able to do my my video stuff get my you know scout report and stuff in and and still be able to do it without anybody else because you know now i've kind of mastered it in a lot of ways so I think this program has helped me a lot. You know, it's kind of got me re-excited about coaching because after I left Illinois State, I kind of was like, I'm kind of done with it. I was kind of, you know, uh, felt like it wasn't what I wanted to do. But this kind of has re-energized, and I think a lot of it was because I wasn't as comfortable with the software. You sure. Know, I was fine on the court and – you know, doing, you know, player development and that type of thing. But when it came to scouting and, you know, what am I really looking for? And then, you know, our coach was like really particular. So you think you have a perfect, you know, video and then it's kind of maybe too long or he wants you to chop off this or he's asking, you know, whatever it may be, you don't want to ramble on, but whatever it may be, you know, it was adding more pressure to me because I wasn't as familiar with the program and stuff to where now you ask me that, I'm like, oh, what you need? You need... Andy's means last nine shots in the fourth quarter of the last six games. Oh, perfect. I know how to go find that real quick. And, you know, now I can do that. And now I don't feel as stressed because I'm confident in what I'm doing. So, uh, that's yeah, like, for, like I was going to say from like the outside looking in, like that's something, you know, I don't, I didn't even know there's all that stuff out there now. Like if you would say what a, what a coach is supposed to do, all you think of is like on court work and like what you do during games. But like there's so much other stuff that goes into it that just no one knows about. And I could, yeah, I could understand how that could be, that could like weigh on you a little bit when, when, um, when it's just affecting what, what, like, like you said, with the other stuff you're so good at with encore work and, and, and teaching players how to be better players and be better teammates. Yeah. I could see how that would be an issue. Well, yeah. But uh, again, like it's so it's kind of, it's funny because it was kind of like my, my basketball career, just opposite. Uh, I went from Scott Skiles to Mike D'Antoni two extremes to Dan D'Antoni, Dan Muller, two extremes, <laughs> you know, to yeah. with Dan, you know, that's all he asked me to do. He didn't ask me to recruit. He didn't ask me to do anything. He said, my job was just on court, on court player development. Like that's basically what he wanted me to do. Like he wouldn't let me go out and recruit or anything. Some he would let me go out and recruit, but you know, as far as, going throughout the year, going and check on players that you're already recruiting, that type of stuff. Um, he didn't want me to do that to where Dan was the complete opposite. Like recruiting is like the biggest thing on his list. So now I'm balancing this and then he's, you know, he's a guy that's looking for any angle that he can get, you know. So like, I mean, quick story, we're playing, we're about to play Valparaiso 
forgot the big kid's name. It was last year. They had a big tall kid. And he felt like he travels, like, all the time when he catches the ball on the block. So he wanted me to go through all his game tape and pick out <laughs> 10 clips <laughs> so he could send to the league, to the referees, so they could be on the lookout for him doing, like, all this traveling or whatever. And, like, you see a couple of three or four clear ones. But, like, I mean, I'm just clipping, like, I, I think I had, like, 18, where I think 12 of them, I'm just guessing. Like, <laughs> but, but just think of the hours that you got to go to, like, in all the game film and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, and so, you know, again, I went from two to another. But if he asked me to do that now, I can – do that a lot quicker I and mean, I'm more confident in doing it so this program is like really really cool we kind of work a lot with the G League um, as far as scouting more G League games G League teams and you know you know, before everything in it we were, had the opportunity to be at Portsmouth and then work the G League League camp and kind of eventually and the whole thing is to get you an opportunity to you know work on the, in the in the NBA eventually, even if you may have to start G League wise or not, but you know, you're making contacts because every owner, every, you know, not every owner, but every GM, you know, it's going to be at all the places you're going to be at. So it gives you an opportunity to, and then I can just whip up my, my laptop and say, hey, look, I've already yeah. did scout, scouting reports of the G League. This is what they look like. I know how to work this program, this program, this program, this program. You know, I have a file of things that, you know, I can show them that, you know, because of, and the thing is with it, because a lot of uh, teams fear bringing in basketball players because that's all they think we can do. Yeah. You know, they think we can only just coach basketball, but we don't know how to work the software or we can't think in an in-depth level or be. The main thing is preparation. You know, you get all these Harvard guys and they bring these guys in and, you know, that's what they're used to doing, being prepared. So they can go on the computer and then they do look on their computer screen and you say, hey, can you find me this in, you know, 2020 or 2016? And they have it labeled in one of their folders or hard drives and things like that to where, you know, most NBA guys, like, we didn't know how to do that stuff. We just, hey, you gave me a scout report, I read it. I go get buckets. You know, that's what you told yeah. me. So, so you know, you got for former players, this is a good way for them to really transition into learning what uh, coaches really have to do, what coaches are expected to do. And then that way, you know, if you do get the opportunity, you're not just a former player. You're like, you're a coach. You, like, have in-depth knowledge of the game. You have in-depth knowledge of the software that, you know, everyone is using. And you know you're able to go out and do the best job you can do. Sure. Yeah. That. Yeah. That's that's interesting, especially like year by year uh, as we keep going by here with the NBA. Like every every team and organization is just becoming more and more analytics driven. So I can't imagine all the extra levels that are added to coaches' plates for for all that stuff. So I'm gonna I want to end on here with just like a I had some Twitter people reach out to me. Uh, some Twitter followers reach out with some questions they want answered from you. And I'm gonna close it out with one little game I'm gonna play with you that I did not prepare you for. So I'm gonna get the uh, the unfiltered see do here. So all right. So at uh, Hunter Cost Thirty Five wants to know how vividly do you remember the layup versus UNC or was it all just a blur? And separately, how hard did we party that night? 
Uh, well, I mean, I remember it. Uh, actually, it was it's the opposite. I think it was more slow motion than it was uh, really, really fast. Because, uh, you know, so the sequence was, you know, in the record, overtime, we're kind of in the same situation. Like, we were up. They scored late. Uh, we're about to take the ball out. I look at coach, seeing if we're going to get a go timeout. And he's like, just go and play. Mm-hmm. I think we got like a horrible shot to try to, you know, win the game in regulation. Uh, so kind of the same sequence. We're up. They hit a tough shot. I look at coach. Coach is like, go. So I go and, you know, Felton and David Noel are kind of somehow I must have hit the the, the, uh, the R2 button at the right time. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they were, you know, kind of like, Who's got who got who? Yeah. So then when I saw that, I I really put down the R2 button. So I'm, bam, I went straight to full speed. And, you know, by that time, I already knew I was going to be able to get passed down. And then at that, at the end, it was kind of just going up for the layup. And I saw Jawar Williams coming up, you know, to make the block. And then, you know, I was able to just go reverse layup, get it to the other side. Uh, you know, the thing that, about that play that I really remember the most is just how well we got back on D right after it was over. That's true, uh, yeah. Because, you know, Roy Williams is – Coach Roy Williams is known for, you know, he's not a timeout guy in that type of situations. And, you know, we talked about that, you know, during our preparation there. So we knew that. But for all five guys to kind of remember that at that moment, I mean, we all flew back on defense. And as you could tell, they threw the ball in and they got it down, you know, just as quick as we scored. To, to have a chance to win it at the end. Uh, so that's, you know, but it was all more in slow motion than it was fast. And then. Yeah. I don't know if people realize like when, or if when that clip is shown, I don't know if they just show you the clip and then they, if they insinuate that it was a buzzer beater, but like there was still, I don't know. Yeah. Like eight or 10 seconds left on the clock. So there's still one more play there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking, no, I think it was probably like about five seconds left. Really? Yeah. But they got the ball in so quick and got down the court so quick. It, you know, it was kind of a blur. And then, uh, yeah, we partied pretty, pretty hard. At that time. <laughs> when I watched the benches burn, that's what everyone, that's the uh, Duke thing that they burn benches when uh, Duke beats UNC. I don't, I was trying to think of that when he asked that, I was like, I don't remember exactly that night. I just remember um, not being able to partake in the mob that everyone jumped on you because I had my arm in a sling. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. So we got another question here uh, from D Miller, 10 NC. She, she got uh, asked, we already asked you this. I'll give her credit for it, but what about Coach K made you commit to? You already talked about that, but I don't know if you gave me this one. I do want to hear your best Coach K story. <laughs> uh, my best Coach that I could tell on podcast? Yeah, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I think it's probably the, the best story. One of the best stories I have is probably the one I said in my senior speech. Uh at the banquet about, cause you know, when coach K like, he's strategic as well. So he's going to throw you out of practice. Like he's going to come into practice knowing that he's going to throw you out of practice. <laughs> out of practice. So I've been thrown out of, I want to say probably about two a year. He throws you out about two times a year. Uh, he throws the team out of practice. So this was, uh, they are senior year and he was, 
want to, you know, make a point, blah, blah, blah. You know, you guys are not playing like Duke players and things like that. So he sat us down and he's getting all out. He's like, get out of my gym. And then he runs to the big garbage can and he, he grabs it and he's like, oh, and like struggling with it. And you know, he got the bad hip. He's like struggling with it. And he like rolls off his hip and it falls on the ground. He's like, get out. And like the only thing that came out of there was an empty potato chip bag and an empty Gatorade bottle. <laughs> You know, we, you know, as captain, you know, we get back into the locker room and we're supposed to be like, come on, man, and all this stuff. But remember, like, the only thing I could think of was like, man, coach always talking this trash that he works just as hard as us and he's doing all this stuff. And then he can't even pick up and turn over a garbage can. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that. That's a good one. Um, one, la- one last question I got for you and then I'm going to then I'm gonna do something else. Uh I meant to ask you this earlier when we were talking about Duke stuff, but whenever, whenever I, when I'll set this up, I say, whenever I talk to people about like my Duke career and I say, and they're like, Oh, who'd you play with? And I mentioned your name and you know, I mentioned JJ Reddick, blah, blah, blah. Um, it always comes back to 90% of the time. It always comes back when I mention your names, like, Oh yeah. Remember that shot he hit against UConn in the final four. Like, I feel like how, how many times, like, obviously you know about it now, I guess, Hey, how many times do people talk to you about that? And B, like, when did you realize, like, how big of a deal it was that you hit, like, what we thought was a meaningless three-pointer at the end of um, a Final Four game that, that if, you, if people don't know, which I'm guessing most people do, it covered the spread for Duke and it was like ESPN was writing articles about it. Like, how, how many times do people come up to you and talk to you about that? And how, when did you realize how big of a deal it was? Oh, well, anytime I'm in Vegas, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Vegas and – like any like sports book, like guys or do that. Uh, I mean, all, I mean all the time. Like you, you know, anytime I'm like, if I'm at a you know a sports bar, or anytime like games are on and somebody recognizes you and they gamble or or anything about that, they're gonna bring that thing up. Um, it was, I mean, nothing. Obviously, we didn't know what the spread was or anything like that. Um, and it was just one of those things where. You know, you kind of knew your college career was over, and it was kind of a frustration heave slash. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna fight to the end type of play, and it goes in, and like you know, thinking back of you, like I can remember the crowd going, you know, kind of like the UConn crowd, kind of going like crazy, and then when the shot goes in, you just heard like yeah, ooh, like the whole crowd is starting on ooh. And, you know, nothing regulates to you there or there. And I didn't know anything about it until, uh, you know, after the locker room, when you go for media, they bring a golf cart like uh, for the players because I think the coaches go before you. And then they put the players that they're going to bring up that's going to go sit up with the coaches. So they're driving, uh, they're driving us down to where we're going to do the media. And uh, the guy – uh, that's kind of conducting, and he said, hey, you know, just I want you to be prepared. And I'm like, for what? He's like, well, I don't know if you know, and it sounds like you don't, but, you know, your shot, like, just changed, like, millions and millions of dollars. Oh, wow. I did not know that they, they hit you up before you even went up on the podium for the postgame presser. Jeez. I was like, what? He was like, yeah, your half-court shot, like, changed spread. I was like, oh, well, don't bet against Duke. <laughs> 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 all right, all right. I'm gonna close it out with one thing here. I'm gonna play a game with you called uh, 
Cole, who would you rather? We all heard this game, but I'm going to obviously make some additions to it. Um, all right, here we go. First one, who would you rather have as a backcourt mate, Jay Williams or Kirk Heinrich? Putting you on oh. the spot here. Yeah. Oh, that's tough. Those two are my dudes, man. Oh, I, <laughs> I got to answer. You have to answer. It's a podcast rule. Oh, oh, that's tough. Uh I would go with I would go with Kirk just because I think our nation is divided, so I want to let people know that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, see right now. <laughs> All right, who would you? I would go with Kirk slightly because uh, Kirk defends better than Jay. Jay's oh, Jay's a way more but Kirk defends better than defense. So. Oh man, I should have started playing this one from the get go. Uh, all right, who would you rather have? Who would you rather have as a coach, Mike D'Antoni or Coach K? Uh, coach K, Coach. I mean, although Mike D'Antoni was fun to play with, um, I mean, I just think, I I think with Coach K, you learn and prepare. The way that he went about things, I think it helps you in life afterwards as well, just preparation and things like that. So, sure. And then, and then the last one I will go with, who would you rather have as a roommate, Reggie Love or me? <laughs> oh, man. man. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, let's go through the pros and cons. <laughs> oh, God, please don't. <laughs> I mean, you are both very clean, both very clean. Uh, you were more video game. You're better at video games than Reggie was. Uh, at that time, beer pong. You know, it depends on what state Reggie was in. If Reggie was, you know, really really drunk, then he was like the best person in the world to play. Uh, so I'll kind of give you guys a tie there. Basketball, uh, it's hit or miss. Reggie was more athletic. You could shoot. I think your IQ was a little bit higher than Reggie, but Reggie was very more athletic than you. Uh, that's a tough one to answer. Uh, I would go – Just remember whose podcast you're on right now. I would go with Andy Means for sure because I want to make sure. <laughs> there we go, man. All right, dude, I really appreciate you giving me some time here. Uh, it was great catching up with you and, and uh, say hi to the family. You guys stay safe. Um, and I miss you, brother. Yeah, I miss you too, brother. I'll, uh, hopefully things work out, and then you know we'll see each other for our fantasy football league. So, uh, but until then, you guys be safe, take care of the fam, tell everyone I said hello, and uh, we'll be in touch. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Mean Streets Podcast. Thanks again to my guest Chris Duhan, and just a reminder again, we'll be moving this. Uh, podcast to the Mean Streets channel going forward. So keep that in mind when we drop some new episodes. As always, please subscribe, rate, and review to both actually, Roto Grinders Fantasy Fix channel and the Mean Streets channel uh, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And we will catch you next time. Thanks for joining everybody.